was uh, moved this morning. Mm-hmm. And last night on the way out, these two young men were behind me, and they were talking about how great they sounded. And they were, they were so excited, and I thought, man, that's really, that's great. Amen. You know, for, these, for them to spend Friday evening with us yes. and grace us with their music, Amen. I just want to thank you guys. That was, that was great. Thank you. It is a true pri- privilege to be back this morning to offer up songs of praise to the Lord before our speakers come up. It is a humbling experience to be gifted with musical talent directly from God and to turn around and use it specifically for Him. Um, Me and Dan both, for the majority of our lives, and this is honest truth, um, the only time we've gotten up in a big crowd to play for everyone has been for in the service of the Lord. Mm -hmm. You know? And... It's always just a payback to God for something that he has already given, you know. So this morning, I wish I would have said something about it last night. Um, If you know, if there's songs that you do know and at a given point that you want to stand up, raise your hands or whatever, you're more than welcome to. Don't feel like a stranger to do that if the Spirit leads you to do that. You know, because it's all glory to God, amen. Amen. Just as I am without one plea, but then thy blood was shed for me, and then thou bidst me. come I come I come just as I am I come to you I come I come O Lamb of God I come just as I am tossed about with many a conflict, many a doubt, fightings and fears within, without the Lamb. The God I come, I come.
Just as I am, thou will receive, will welcome and pardon, cleanse, relieve, because your promise I believe the Lamb of God I come. I come, I come, I come, just as I am, I come to you, I come, oh, I come, oh, Lamb of God, I come. this next song, I don't know how many of you know this one, but it goes back to in the letter of James where he talks about how the Lord is a father of lights and how every good, perfect gift comes from him. Um, gentlemen, if you can follow along, uh, sing with me and the ladies will sing with Dan. That's how we traditionally do it. So... Father of life, Father of life, you delight, you delight in your children, in your children. Father of life, Father of life, you delight, you delight in your children, in your children. Every from you every good and perfect gift comes from you every good and perfect gift comes from you father of Father of life, you delight. 
God of wonders Here's beyond our galaxy You are holy Holy The universe declares your majesty You are holy Holy Lord of heaven and earth Lord of heaven and earth Lord of heaven and earth Last song we're going to play before Brent comes up to speak it's about how the Lord is always gracious and compassionate whenever we don't even deserve it. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. And the Lord is good to all, He has compassion for all that He has made. As far as the east is from
appreciate you guys doing the worship. It's still hard for me to believe. When I was at Fisherman's One, I see Doc running around as a teenager, and Danny was in diapers at that time, and now to see him on stage is uh, quite astounding to see the Lord's work in your boy's life, and so I'm excited to see what he will continue to do. If you would, take your sword with me as we go to war this morning, and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 through 9. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 through 9. First Peter 5, 6-9. The text reads like this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded and be watchful, for your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word this morning, as we look at the different tactics of the enemy and the specific ways upon which we can refute them, I pray right now that your spirit would guide every word of mine. If I come up here with talent and skill, It's boring, it's dry, it's arrogant. But if I come up here in humility, Lord, in the atmosphere of your power, then things can change and things can happen. People can remember and the heart can be cut. And so, Lord God, if I speak out of talent or any other reason, then please, like Ezekiel, make my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. Make me silent like the father of John the Baptist and make me look like a fool so that you'll get glory. But Lord, if I speak in utterance of your word and your power, then get glory from it and then take these words from this feeble man and use them to bring exaltation to your name and power and conviction to every heart that sets here this morning. God, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. About 15 years ago, I had the privilege of taking a summer mission trip to the east coast of Africa to a little place called Tanzania. It's not really little, it's a pretty big place. There are lots of things that I learned in Tanzania. I learned what true worship was. I would see teenagers walk for a couple miles just to worship for about three hours, only to do it again the very next morning and very next evening. No complaining. I learned what uh, true joy in the the Lord was. I mean, these places had these mud huts. There wasn't nothing there, and yet they were jumping for joy and exalting the name of Christ without the modern conveniences that we had. And it was extremely hot. 
I learned about what gratitude was. They hardly had anything at all, very minimal things. And the most smallest thing that they get, they got. They, I brought some little shirts like this from Walmart and laid them on a couch right before I left and had five of the leaders come in and gave them each one of those shirts, and they all bawled like a baby just to get a little shirt like this, plain white shirt from Walmart. I learned a lot about demons over there. I've seen demons be cast out of people. I've seen, that's where I really learned. The first time I was there, the, the missionary told me, you are a stupid Westerner. That's the first thing he told me. And he said that you will see things here that in your Western mind you won't be able to comprehend and you won't be able to see. And boy, did I the first time we went there. But one of the most fascinating things that happened to me wasn't necessarily directly ministry related, but indirectly it was, was that we had a break in between are teaching these guys and working with them about with the scriptures and teaching them English. And one of the things they asked we want to do is, would you guys want to take a safari trip? Well, of course. I mean, you're in Africa. You want to take a safari trip, right? And, of course, the biggest thing we asked was, is there going to be lions? But it was interesting what happened, though. Because in America, when we go to see lions, here's what we do. We get our cotton candy. We get our popcorn. We get our caramel apples. If you got kids, you make sure to get your icy, blueberry and red. They have them both at the Louisville Zoo. And you walk really comfortably up to the lion exhibit. It's safe. It's fun. It's nice. And everybody's having a good time. Now, from that safe distance, the lion isn't scared of you. In fact, he just basically sleeps. You can throw rocks at it. Do what you want to do. Act like a lion. What does he do? He just sits there and sleeps, probably mumbling to himself what a bunch of morons these people are because if I wanted to, I could demolish them with one slap of my jaws. But when people in America go see a lion at the zoo, they go there for entertainment. It's cotton candy, popcorn, caramel apples, and to be have a good time at the expense of that lion as he naps. But when I went to Africa... And I loaded up with four of those natives and one other missionary with me who was in that truck with me. They didn't have cotton candy. They didn't have uh, popcorn. They didn't have Cokes. What they did have was four high-powered rifles. And the reason they had four high-powered rifles for is because they understood the nature of lions because they live with lions. They've had family members who've been bitten and came into their villages some of you had family members who died from lion attacks. They knew the most intricate details of the lion, where it slept. I mean, I would look at a thing and think, oh, that's probably a giraffe. Oh, that's a lion. Oh, that, that's a lion scat right there. This is a lion. I had no idea. But they knew the lion very, very well because they lived among the lions. And because they lived along the lions, they didn't bring cotton candy. They brought rifles because they knew the threat and the power of the lion. And they knew that once you invade the lion's territory, you better be prepared to arise his anger, and he can attack you at any moment along the way. Spiritually, the church is like America. When it comes to the lion, most of the time we come with potluck dinners, cute little songs, nice little quilt-making parties, nice little campouts. Not bad in and of themselves. But within that, the enemy just sleeps. What's there to fear about that? There's no really engaging any demonic forces in that kind of atmosphere. But the moment that we begin to preach the gospel, the, the moment that you decide to get serious and walking in holiness, you better bring your rifle out. Because now it gets serious. 
so oftentimes I think that the enemy can sleep in our church and be quite comfortable. I mentioned last night that it wasn't until Jesus walked in in Mark chapter 1. And mind you, that was a Jewish temple. And, and most Jewish boys by the age of 10 already would have had most of the Torah memorized. Here's a guy, maybe he already, he already had the Torah memorized. And that demon could lay manifest in that man all those years until the authority of Christ finally came in. And at that moment, boom, finally, it was there and then that the demon began to manifest. Why? Because the presence and the power of Christ invaded the enemy's territory and then he was aroused. If you want to get serious about Christ, whether you like it or not, you have entered into the war zone the moment you accept Jesus Christ. And it's a shame we don't tell people this when they come to Christ. We make it such you know, nice lollipops and balloons, welcome home, nice to see you, good job. Instead of the fact that you're going to do a battle against the enemy and you better be prepared to know what he's like. It's for this reason that this text is so important. And there's nobody better to mention this text and write this than Peter. Because Peter knows what it's like to be in the clutches of the lion. And he knows what it's like to be bitten by one too. For instance, Luke twenty-two thirty-one, Simon, Sidon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that you may not fail. Matthew sixteen twenty three. He turned to Peter and Jesus said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Yeah. There was the time in the, in the garden, Matthew 26, 39 through 40. And Jesus came to his disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, So you cannot watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. For the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. Peter knows what it's like to do battle with the, with the lion, and he's no, he knows what it's like to be bitten and devoured by it. I want to listen to a guy who's been among the lions. Yes. So we better listen to what Peter has to tell us, because he knows what it's like to dwell with one and to be bitten by one, Amen. and to be rescued from one. Here's what's interesting, though. Lions are the king of the jungle, right? A lion, they said, can jump 10 feet can lift up 2,700 pounds, can sprint pretty fast. For two football fields, it can at least run 40 miles an hour. And if you think about it, the, the lion really doesn't necessarily have a predator. It eats crocodiles. It eats elephants if it wants to. It eats anything it wants to. Most things fear the lion. But you know what the lion's most fear, afraid of? Another lion. And they're afraid of another lion because they realize that with another lion, there's equal strength there now. And that someone of the same caliber as them has a possibility of being able to overpower them to take their territory. We've already met one lion, right? His name is Satan. And he's very territorial. You see this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you walked according to the course of this world, the prince, the prince, the prince of the power of the air, prince is someone who rules over something. That the devil, like a lion, is indeed he's he's territorial. Jesus would say in John 14, 30, I will no longer I will I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. Ruler, that that's territorial. He's a prince and he's a ruler. Ephesians 6 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. So think about this. 
You've got a ruler, you've got a prince, you've got powers, you've got authorities. This lion really is territorial. The earth, he wants to make his home, his territory. And there really isn't much that he's afraid to try. Ask David, got him on the roof. Ask two perfect people, got him in their perfection. Ask Nebuchadnezzar as he was on the roof. Ask Peter who said, I'll never deny you. Ask Judas who was always supposedly supposed to be loyal to him. Got him. He's not afraid of much. He's territorial. He'll attack at will. But there is one he's afraid of. That's another lion. This one, though, is a lion from the tribe of Judah. We we see this at Hosea 5.14. For I will be like a lion, there's God talking to Ephraim, like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will will tear and go away. I will carry off and no one shall rescue. Hosea 11.10. They shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. And when he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. Amos 3.8. The lion has roared. Who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken. Who can but prophesy? Revelation 5.5. 5. One of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll in its seven seals. And see, when the two lions meet, it's in Matthew chapter 4. In the desert, there's two lions fighting for territory now. One lion comes to Jesus and says, I'm I'm making you off, and I'm going to roar at you. I'm going to bring you to the mountain. I'm going to give you the stones, and I'm going to have you jump from the temple. That's his roaring to intimidate the lion of the tribe of Judah, but he wasn't budged. And the lion from the tribe of Judah stood his ground and proved himself faithful. And it says, and the devil left for an opportune time. The Lion of the tribe of Judah comes to establish his territory at the beginning of his ministry. And you know what? If you look at the rest of the ministry of Christ, look at how the Lion from hell now fears the Lion of the tribe of Judah. For instance, and immediately or in the synagogue, Mark chapter 1, verse 23 through 24. In the synagogue was a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What do you have to do with this, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Mark chapter 5, 7 to 8, with a loud voice, he screamed out, a demon screamed out, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to the man, Come out of him, you unclean spirit. Mark 9, 20, and the boy was brought to him. When the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, he fell to the ground, and he rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Acts nineteen fifteen. the demon said, Jesus I know, Paul I recognized, but who are you? And then there's James two nineteen. You believe there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. When the two lions met in Matthew chapter 4, the lion of the tribe of Judah showed, I'm not afraid of you, lion from hell, and triumphed over him. And then from that point on now, the lion from the tribe of hell fears the lion of the tribe of Judah. Of Judah, you see it. You see it with the demons. So, if I can talk to you for a few moments, it would be this topic: how to fight a lion with a lion. How to fight a lion with a lion. Peter gives us some pretty intimate details here in this text. Notice he says here in verse eight: "Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour." First of all, let's look at the lion of the tribe of Judah. First of all, we have a couple adjectives to describe kind of what it's like. Notice that word there, "your." Sometimes 
one scripture, one verse in scripture is like an atomic bomb that just explodes and can go for just mile, cover much of ground. But notice, it tells us something about this line of the tribe of Judah. Judah. He says he's your adversary, which means he's personal with you. He's personal with you. You need to understand that because most of your scientists and even most Christians think this is just some impersonal for, personal force that's distance. You know, he's not really there. It's just, boy, this is just bad luck today, or maybe this is just um, fate coming back to me, or maybe this is just bad karma here. Instead of thinking that behind the scenes of the things that's happening within your life, mentally, emotionally, physically, the circumstances of life could be a direct personal enemy that's coming against you. The Apostle Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 12, listen again. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand the schemes of the devil. For then we do not wrestle. We do not wrestle. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, and against the cosmic powers of this present darkness and spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. The word there in the Greek, wrestle, pale, means to struggle. It's a fight. Greek wrestling was much different than modern-day American wrestling. And this is like the, the comparison between somebody who mo- most Christians fight the devil like a, a, a young, like someone who plays WrestleMania on the Wii. Yeah, I mean, yeah, God, dude, I can wrestle. Come on. You can't wrestle. You're deluded. Ask the guy who fought Mike Tyson and Muhammad Ali when they come out bruised. Now that's fighting. This is the Mike Tyson and the Muhammad Ali of spirituality. This is the devil himself. And when he fights, he fights to win. And if you've ever engaged in battle with him, you're going to know it. Because you're going to have some bruises. And you're going to have some marks. This isn't a sparring contest. This is a fight to the death. In fact, Acts 19, 13 through 16 says, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had an evil spirit, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul, I love that, I adjure you by the Jesus of Paul, and whom Paul proclaimed seven sons of Sceva, a high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man of whom had an evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, overpowered them, so they fled out of the house naked and wounded. So first of all, you need to understand this lion is personally against you. Now that insinuates something. If he's personally against you, that means he knows you. Did you catch what ago the demon told Jesus when he came to the temple? This is the first time we have an interaction of Jesus and a demon. The demon said, I know who you are, Jesus, son of Nazareth, the son of God. He knows the identity of Jesus, where Jesus came from, and the character of who he is. How do you know that? He had to have some sort of knowledge of who he was to study him. I'll tell you, he studies you too. The devil, like a rock climber, looks for the footholds of your life. Is he jealous? Grab that one. Is he insecure? Grab that one. Does he feel rejected? Grab that one. Does he feel intimidated? Use that one. Is he prideful? Got that one. No rock climber ever dares to climb a mountain that's smooth. He can't get up it. He only looks for ones that has holes in it. Because that way, he can, even if it's a small one, he can put himself in there and climb himself up to conquer the mountain that he could not without the footholds. But make no doubt about it, every, every temptation and every seduction of the enemy, as was discussed last night, is tailor-suited for you. Yes. You see, before you ever go to a wedding, if you're invited to a wedding, you know you're invited to the wedding because you have to go get fitted for the tux, right? And they fit you perfectly to prepare you for the wedding. Well, can I give you some encouragement? 
if the devil has to start suiting his temptations to you, that's because you just became a part of a wedding. If you wedded yourself to Jesus Christ, it's only then that he has to start saying, now let's fit him. What's his personality like? What's his temperament like? So in some ways, the, the temptations are personally suited to you. They may not be to anybody else. And he'll even play that against you too to make you think that you're nuts, you're crazy, no one else is experiencing this. Well, it's because they don't have the same problem you do. It's tailor suited for you. But just remember that in that moment when you feel like the enemy is just against you in particular, that there's probably a wedding taking place. You've just wedded yourself to Christ. Now he's fitting you to mark you because he knows the power that's about to come in you through Christ. Amen. So on one hand it's hard, on the other hand it's a blessing. You can take a badge of honor for that. Amen. So we see, we see first of all that the enemy is personal, but get the second thing, he's also judicial. He's your adversary, the devil. Devil there is the word that means accuser. He's one who is a slander. Now that's who he is. What he does, he's an adversary. The word there for adversary means an opponent. He is an enemy. He is your personal opponent. He is a spiritual prosecuting attorney. Now a prosecuting attorney, their whole job, their whole purpose of what they do is to convince two people they're guilty. First of all, he's there to convince the judge, hey, this criminal has committed a crime. So he finds every loophole, every mistake, every small thing he can do from his past, from his, what he's done, anything he can find to present as an argument to the judge, to, to convince the judge, prosecute this criminal. But not only is he there to pro, to, for the judge to prosecute the criminal, but he's also there to hope to get the criminal to confess himself that he's actually guilty. Yeah. So they don't have to go forth in the whole proceeding. The devil will spend his life finding anything he can. First of all, to accuse you before God. We see that with Job. He only follows you because you got him his health. You got his family. Take that away from him. He won't follow you no more. So we know that Satan accuses us before God, but really that doesn't work because by the blood of Jesus Christ, we've been redeemed and cleansed from that. So he knows that probably won't work with God, so he just reverts to us then. Because he knows that he can deceive us a lot better and easier that way. You'll feel it. You'll experience it. Some of you understand what it's like to feel the guilt and the shame. It's the devil's prison that he puts you in and he locks the key and throws it away. And some of you know what it's like to have that shame, to have that guilt, to have that condemnation poured on you. He is a personal adversary who is your spiritual legal prosecuting attorney who for your entirety of your life will seek to have you arrested and to handcuff you before God, and you to handcuff yourself before God. Yes. Now, let me just kind of tell you, give you some things here. Um, oh, for instance, in Zechariah 3.1, just to show this, then he showed to me the high priest standing before the Lord, and there was Satan standing at the right hand, ready to accuse him. You see, for some of you, and some of us, I've been here before, The devil wants to accuse you and deceive you before God to make God, instead of a loving father, an abusive stepdad who creates distance. You sin, oh, God hates you. Look at how royally you've messed up. It impresses those things upon you. So we see that he's personal and he's judicial. Now then, let's look at some of his tactics that he uses. First thing is this. Notice, the first thing I would say is this. Again, be sober-minded, your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. First thing is this. The devil will oftentimes disguise himself in deception to undermine God's truth. Yep. The devil will oftentimes 
disguise himself by replicating God's truth, you could say. How do you get that one, Brent? Well, notice that he's called a lion. Now, we get that the devil, and we'll see this here in a second, that he has the nature of a lion, all this kind of stuff. But isn't it funny that oftentimes everything that God does, the devil tries to do and replicate it and pervert it. So, for instance, you see that this lion is going around seeking whom he, who may devour. Well, the lion, of the, tribe of Judah, the, lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah said he came to seek and save that which was lost. This lion comes like a lion, undermining God as a lion, to the opposite of that. You will find out through all scripture that Satan will disguise himself as if it's something from God to replicate it only to try to deceive you with it. For instance, the, Jesus has his angels, the devil has his demons. Jesus has his ministers sent out. The devil comes as false prophets and angels of light. Jesus can use the scripture and quote it. So exactly can the devil. Oftentimes the enemy will try to replicate God so much with a small little detail. It's the difference between Coke Zero and Coke. It's just a small, not huge, a small little detail in there that there is a difference. So you really can't tell. It's very subtle in between there. So as to make it look so much like it's God that you can't tell it's not him, but yet it's not him at all. He's a lion. He's replicating what God does, just a subtle difference. So can I give you some practical things that may help you with that? Because the battle is here and the battle is here. When the devil comes to speak to your mind and emotions, it's oftentimes invasive. Boom! But when God comes to speak to you, it's not invasive. It's more inviting. Amen. When the devil tries to come at you, it will be almost intruding and striking. <laughs> Real quick and hard. You'll feel the jolt of it. But when the Lord begins to speak to you, it will be almost a calmness and a, and a, rest, and a, and a resting within this, in your spirit, man. Yeah. Oftentimes, when the enemy comes at you, Whenever he tries to speak unto you, it will be almost disturbing. Yes. He'll come at you and he'll create chaos and panic and stress and fear. And if you don't know that this is not from God, you're going to think, this is God doing this. What's happening? I feel like I'm going through what's happening here. The Lord does the opposite of that most of the time. Yes. When he comes to you, there's a Holy Spirit resting. There's a calming of the anxieties, a reducing of the stress. But the devil is so clever to replicate these things that if you don't know that it's not the devil, he's going to make you think that it's from God. And that's what seems confusing. Where's these thoughts coming from? I don't know. You know i got to go to mental hospital. That's the part of it. He will so intertwine the two that you can't understand which one's which. He will so replicate himself so well that you won't know the difference unless you're able to be able to discern which one is which. So we see one of the greatest tactics the enemy uses is oftentimes he uses... He operates in disguise to replicate God's truth through deception. Second thing I would say is this. Tactic number two is this. Notice it says that he prowls around like a roaring lion. Tactic number two. Tactic number one, he'll oftentimes replicate God to deceive people uh, with the truth. Second thing would be this. And so he oftentimes works best through ambush. Notice that it says he prowls. He doesn't just come out and say, here we go, rah, whoa, gotcha, come here, gazelle. That's just foolish, it didn't work that way. He prowls. Most lions, 
when they are they're patient they they will watch and they will wait and they will wait for the exact right time and and the thing about a, about a lion is that um it can run 40 miles an hour but can only do that for about the length of two football fields and so if it's got something faster than it's then uh, it has to rely on ambush because the ambush gives it the advantage over the prey that is much more quicker and sometimes even more stronger than it itself so oftentimes the devil works with ambush in times you don't expect it to happen yeah. because the reality is is that the devil is more intimidated of the Christ that's in you than you are of him but if he can get you to think the opposite of that he has absolutely got you yeah. and for most people that's exactly the way that it works yeah. but how exactly does he ambush us what does he do that catches us I would say two things first of all through temptation Temptation is the devil's lure to reel in the heart with. Now, every fisherman knows that you don't just jump into the water and hope to catch that big mouth, that, that small mouth or large mouth bass. It'll swim away. It's too obvious. So you bait the hook according to the appetite of the fish, the right color, the right kind of action on the bait, the right kind of scent on the bait, and you throw it out there hoping that the, hoping that the fish doesn't see the hook behind the bait so that he can ambush that fish by appealing to its desires, just exactly what it wants. The old Puritan Thomas Adams said that Satan, like a fisherman, baits the hook according to the appetite of the fish. And that's certainly true. But see, a fish doesn't know when it's coming, neither do you. You go to a gas station, gentlemen, and bam, there she comes out. Ambush. And if you're not prayed up that day and read up that day, you're going to look. And you're going to lust. Ladies, when you walk into TJ Maxx or when you walk, gentlemen, when we walk in to Bass Pro or when we walk into Lowe's and Home Depot or you walk into Bath and Body Works, you can have a great day. You can just listen to Chris Tomlin on the radio. You can listen to Adrian Rogers as you came in. You can pray with Herman when you walked in the store. And all of a sudden, isn't it amazing how all of a sudden you can walk into those places and bam, got to have that. You don't even have the money for it, but go ahead and go in debt to get it. It just snatches you like that. You think, oh, that's, come on, that's just cheesy stuff. No, it's not. I believe that those things, just like that, are ways upon which the enemy ambushes us when we don't expect it to begin to reel you in. The second way he will ambush you, and probably even more subtle than that, is not just with temptations, but with suggestions. The enemy will often plant suggestions within your mind and even in your emotions that make you think the thought that you thought and the emotion you experienced was yours so that you own it and live by it. That's part of the deception. Now, a suggestion isn't a coercion, it's a manipulation. So which the enemy will just plant a thought into your mind, which is his thought to make you believe it, own it, and act upon it without him ever having to make you do it. He just suggests that you will. When uh, our kids at home play the game Sorry, you ever played the game Sorry? It's a fun little game. But my daughter is so clever at this is that there there are certain times where you can pull a card and you can switch the place of a player and take their spot. Now, when my son gets that card, and I'm ahead of my son in the game, or Michelle's ahead of our kids, my, my daughter will say something like this. Now, Luke, because my daughter is the one who's usually in last place. Me and my wife are ahead, and Luke's in the middle. She'll say something like this. Now, Luke, now, now look, don't you want to take mom and dad's? You don't, you don't want to take, you know, usually C's in front, and me and Michelle are behind her. It's the opposite way. And she'll usually say, now, you know, Luke, you, you don't want to take this from me. I mean, look at mom. You, you, it's probably better to have that spot, don't you think? Like, they, they, She doesn't make him do anything. But my son has got such a kind heart. He says, yeah, I'll take mom and dad's and leave her in first place. All because of the power of suggestion. 
That's exactly the way the enemy works. He's not going to force you. Eve, look, the, the, the apple looks amazing, looks beautiful. He didn't make her. He just coerced her to be able to do it. And I will suggest to you that there are certain times when the enemy will suggest to you, you walk into a church service. She's prettier than you. That's a suggestion. You own it. Now you're jealous. They're better than you. A suggestion to the mind. Comparison happens. Now there's a secret jealousy going on. You avoid the person. You drive down the road. Stupid, worthless, and ugly. Where did that come from? Maybe I am that. You begin to own that. Or just go kill yourself. No one likes you. Walk into a room. Everyone's laughing. They stop when you walk in. They're making fun of you. Where'd that come from? And now you have this animosity with everyone in that room. Why? Because the devil suggested they were making fun of you and you thought that they were. And now he's got you trapped with them. Now now there's anger. See how he works? Suggestions. And if you do not know where this is coming from, it will own you and take you and drag you away. If it's not temptations, it will be suggestions. He will make you compulsive about things. Oh, my kid's going to die. Where'd that come from? Or maybe I'm not going to get this job. He will make you compulsive. He'll make you obsessive about specific things. He'll give you oddities. Oh, I saw this number. The light bulb went out. I walked into the church. The light bulb went out. I walked into the Walmart. The light bulb went out. What? Is there something wrong with light bulbs? That's how he works. It seems strange, but this is stuff I've experienced with people all over the place. I was talking with a guy the other day, and he said, uh, I feel like I'm a homosexual. Are you? No, I feel like I'm one. Why? He said, because I walked in Walmart, and there was this guy who looked like a homosexual, and I walked past him, I felt the emotion like I was a homosexual. I'm not kidding you. I said, do you see the enemy's suggestion? You're, he's a very vulnerable guy. He didn't have a dad in his life, so the enemy knows that he can suggest that emotion to him. He's very passive. He won't fight it. So he just offers him that emotion, makes him feel like that. He accepts it, owns it, believes that he is. Then come on, Marie, you're crazy. I'm not crazy. These things are legitimately temptations and suggestions. This is how the devil prowls. Third thing, third one of his tactics. If it's not temptations and suggestions, the third tactic is we've looked at the fact of, by the way, I'm sorry, This is I call this auctioneering preaching, which is... Um, You've got a lot to say and a little time to do it in. So part of auctionary preaching means that uh, I need to hear the amen and make the bid so I know it's going. I'm joking. I don't care about that. But I'm trying to give you a lot of information in a small amount of time. So first tactic is that um, the devil will replicate God to undermine his truth. Second thing is that uh, the devil oftentimes works through ambush. Third thing would be to notice in this text it says, be sober-minded, be watchful, uh, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Third thing I would say, tactic number three is this. The devil will oftentimes try to intimidate you through fear. Yes. He will try to intimidate you through fear. Notice he doesn't purr like a cat, although we try to make him to be that. He roars like a lion. Yes. You know, they said that a lion's roar can actually be heard up to five miles away. And most people, if you're close enough to a lion's roar, tell you that the most intriguing thing, the most impacting thing of the lion's roar it's not the sound of it, but they can actually be felt. It vibrates you when you are in it, wow. around it. But typically, a lion roars for two reasons. Number one, it roars because the fact that if it finds another lion, a lion in its area, it roars to intimidate that lion to get off its core area. And a core area of a lion could be between 15 and, they said, 400 miles. Wow. But see, that's how it works with us. Because the moment that you begin to invade his territory, he will begin to throw his intimidations at you to stop doing it. When you go home and you begin to pick up this Bible, do you think you can just read this nonchalantly? 
you pick it up and watch unwanted thoughts come into your mind. You pick this up and you watch those jealousies be exposed in you. You pick this up and watch tiredness come over you. You pick this up and watch panic. Some people get panicky about this thing. Why? It's intimidations. And that's why most, and I hear it all. I'm never going to Every time I go to pray, every time I read the Bible, I get all the, of course you do. That's part of the, what did you expect? You're invading his territory. This is what's going to happen. You go to go pray. Watch the interruptions come into your mind. Watch the, the, the disruptions come in. Watch the distractions pour your way. All of these things are different interruptions upon which the enemy will use as a means to intimidate you, to keep you away from pursuing him, or for, from fighting him, and uh, going against him. He will use uh, governments to try to oppose you. In fact, in First Peter here, most likely, th- this was written in the backdrop. These Christians were suffering and persecuting. And by the way, did you know that the Emperor Nero, um, there, was a guy, there was actually a, a historian who wrote of Nero, he called him a lion, called him a beast. So very well could be that this is, what's talked about here is uh, the Roman government. There's suppression, there's this uh, violence taking place, they're being persecuted for their faith. And so because of that then, and as a result of that, um, this was an intimidation against these Christians. Sometimes he uses family members, to, 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 he uses rejection, he uses all kind of different things. But another reason why a lion roars for is not just to intimidate, but also a lion roars to paralyze its prey with fear. Oftentimes, right before an animal, the, the lion will attack, he will let out a loud roar, and that will give enough of a paralyzation to give that lion a head start upon which to go and grab that prey, which a lot of times is much faster than him. And many times in life, the devil will try to use paralyzation of fear within our life. He will inflame certain emotions. He will inflame certain insecurities. He will do different things to us to instill fear in many different ways. There's no ending to the amount of fears upon which the enemy can use and the ways that he works. So, for instance, sometimes they get phone calls about uh, people seeing uh, uh, dark people in their room at nighttime. Their bed shaking. Some people face uh, sleep paralysis. Some people have night tears. Now, those are the extreme amount of things that I've seen. But oftentimes, the enemy, the enemy just tries to intimidate your emotions by reinforcing, again, insecurities. So you wake up one day, and all of a sudden, you just feel ugly, worthless, and stupid. And you go through, you, feel like you don't know where it's coming from. That's the paralyzation of the enemy to try to create that within you so that you are hampered that day from walking with God. He tries to create dis- strife and, and, and um, making you think that other people were mad at you. when well, No one's mad at you, but he creates that fear within you to keep you separated from the body of Christ. And everyone in this room has probably experienced that at one time or another. And he does these things. So if he can't intimidate you, he, he will roar to intimidate you or he will roar to paralyze you with fear. And, the ways that he, and another one he uses too is that if you've had any kind of uh, trauma in your life in some way, he will use that trauma and try to recreate it in some way in your life over again. Or use that trauma and, and just um, exploit it even more uh, to make it even deeper, to make it even worse for you in a lot of ways. He, he's clever in, in what he does. All right, so fourth tactic then. We've seen that the devil can oftentimes replicate God's truth by undermining, his lie, undermining it with lies. Uh, secondly, we have seen that oftentimes the devil works best through ambush. Thirdly, the devil oftentimes works uh, through intimidation by fear. A fourth tactic I would say is this, is that oftentimes... Um, the devil is, is relentless in his pursuit to devour you. Yes. The devil is relentless in his pursuit to devour you. Amen. If he can't get you with replicated lies, if he can't get you by disguise and ambush, and if he cannot get you in, uh, through fear and intimidation, 
then he will just keep pursuing you until you finally just give up. Notice the text says here, he is a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The word there for seek is a word that means to chase after something until you finally attain it. And then once he attains it, it says there that word devours means to gulp, and it means to swallow whole. The devil is very persistent. A lion will wait in ambush for however long it takes to be able to catch his prey. And the devil is oftentimes very persistent with you. He'll wait and wait and watch and watch and continue and continue to finally you just decide, I give up, I'm done. I, this sickness has not gotten over with. I keep on having this same reoccurring problem. I said, I'm still going through this thing, whatever it is. And he pours that on you to let you know. He's persistent in his guilt and his shame and everything else. He is relentless against you to get you to think, to give up. You know, when you, if you ever watch UFC fighting, sometimes those big old dudes come in the ring and they're all like, that, that dude's probably going to win. You got some rinky-dink guy that comes in there and like, that dude's going to get smashed in about five seconds. And if you watch it, it's usually the dude that looks like a rinky-dink that wins. The dude that's big has got the power. But the dude that's small has got the persistency. And eventually, he lets the dude wear himself out. He gets tired. But this guy's still going. And that persistent eventually wears out the stronger guy. If the devil can't get you through deception, through disguise, and through some of these other subtle things, he will just try to pursue you and pursue you and pursue you to wear you out in your emotions and your mind to finally you say, I give up. But that's the lion. That's the lion from hell. But how do we fight a lion with a lion? How do we fight this lion from, from hell? Well, again, you fight him with a lion. How do we do that? Well, he tells us here, be sober-minded, be watchful. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing the same kind of sufferings you've experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Real quickly, we've seen the tactics of the lion. We've seen some things that he does. But then how do we fight him with the lion? When you choose to repent of your sins, come to faith in Jesus Christ, enter the waters of baptism, live a life of holiness, apply the word of God to your life, the lion of the tribe of Judah then lives in you, so that then you have the lion within you. So that as you begin to live out these commands, you're fighting the lion in you with the lion from the tribe of hell. But notice that he says, here's how you fight him. You resist him, first of all, firm in your faith. The word there for resist means to stand against, to just stand. Oftentimes in the battle with the enemy, two of the greatest problems that we either run to or run away from. Instead of just standing there in the power of Christ. When I played basketball and I was guard- and someone was guarding me or I was guarding somebody, if I wanted to prevent them from scoring, I couldn't run at them and tackle them. That's a foul. I couldn't run away from them. They would score. So I would just simply stand under the basket and wait. And boom, I take a charge. And when I took the charge, it prevented them from scoring, and I took the ball from them, and we're going the opposite direction. It's the same thing in spiritual war. We either will try to run to the devil, I got in my own power, or run away and cower in fear instead of saying, I stand in the power of Christ himself. Standing firm in the faith, what's that practically look like? Well, Peter says here very quickly, beginning of verse 6, humble yourselves. The first way you resist by faith is that you just humble yourself. 
humility is not just some cowering down, thinking, oh, me, oh, my. Humbling yourself means that you have the proper perspective and the proper person that give you the proper position of how to stand. Amen. For instance, humility is like this. You go to the edge of a cliff, a bungee, a bungee jump, and you realize that in and of your power to jump off that bungee jump by yourself and hoping that you're going to live through that is impossible. And because you know it's impossible, you are humble enough to say, I'll place myself underneath the ropes of the bungee so that when I make the jump, through the power of the bungee that I place myself in, I am able to make that jump and survive. Humility is not, I can do this on my own. Humility is pushing, putting yourself under the authority of something else, trusting in its power to help you accomplish something you could not do on your own. The Christian life is impossible to be able to do on your own. Amen. Fighting the devil is impossible to do on your own. Yes. So humility says, Lord, I cannot do this on my own. I place myself under your authority to fight an enemy that's so much better, bigger and better and badder than I am. But by your power and by your authority and by your strength, I place myself under so that through you and by you, in your power, I can overcome and conquer the lion from the tribe of Judah. Amen. That's what humility is. It's placing yourself under authority and operating under that authority under that submission. But not only does he say that to humble yourself, that's the right attitude. He also says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Amen. The word there for casting means to throw at, means to, to give up to, means and anxiety. The word anxieties means something that tears you apart. He says, cast those anxieties onto the Lord. You know, when a quarterback plays football, when the, when the ball is snapped to him, boom, anxieties start coming his way. When the ball is given to him, now everyone wants to tackle him and block him. You know, you know what he does with that ball? He casts his anxieties away. He takes that anxiety and he casts it away to the wide receiver, and the wide receiver takes it in for a touchdown. In the Christian life, the moment you receive Christ, got him. Now here comes all the defensive line coming at you. So what are you going to do? Stand there, hold the ball and tuck it in? No, throw it to God. Give it to him. Cast your anxieties to him. He has the and as a, as a running as a wide receiver cares for his quarterback to get the ball to take it in. So also God cares for us in our anxieties to receive from us all that we give to him. Amen. So we humble ourselves. We cast our anxieties upon him. Um, then he says, and be sober minded. The word there for sober minded means uh, to be non diluted. Non the enemy obviously attacks the mind most more than anything else. Um, we oftentimes act the way that we think. And so the, to be sober-minded, you know, we, we would tell somebody, be, uh, don't, don't get behind the wheel um, not sobered, which means that have control over your faculties of your mind lest you wreck. So to be sober-minded means to think correctly. To be sober-minded means to, to have a, a direction with your emotion, to be in control of things. Yes. But then he also says, and to be watchful, to be watchful. Um, when I went to Africa and we got out and we went for that uh, little safari, we actually uh, got out of the vehicle for a little bit and we walked around and... Uh, look for lions and it was interesting because um, it wasn't like walking through the Hinderville forestry it was uh, it was pretty intense because they said that at any place at any moment there could be a lion here so my uh, my stroll through that little area wasn't oh man this is, let's have a picnic right here this is pretty cool you know hey you know ringing bells and you know playing out music it was very meticulous Every uh, move of a bush I would, you know is that a lion every cracking of a twig is was that a lion and you became very, very watchful. And I think that's the attitude upon which um, Peter presents it here, to where with our attitude, we're humble. With our emotions, we cast them to God. With our mind, we're sober. And with our will, we're watchful. No wonder the Lord said, love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, body, and soul. That's not just for practicality of life. That's even in spiritual warfare Amen. as well. 
Now, much more can be said, much more to be to say, but suffice to say, how do you fight a lion? You fight him with a lion. Amen. He will disguise himself to deceive. He will seek to ambush you. He will seek to intimidate through fear. And he will be restless in his pursuit against you. How do you counteract that? You resist him, stand firm. How practically? Humble yourself, cast your cares upon him, be sober-minded, and be watchful. Alexander the Great said, I don't fear a bunch of lions led by a sheep. I fear sheep led by a lion. So does the enemy. Lord, thank you for your word. As feeble and broken as it is through a feeble man, I pray you take your words and use them appropriately for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. of two lions. Oh, I have a personal testimony. It's about fear. I was very fearful. High school, growing up years, even college. If, and I would role play because I, I wanted people to like me. So I would not be the same person if I was with different groups. You know how that goes. And finally, God told me one night, he said, I am sick of you role playing and not being yourself. How do I do that? He said, you get rid of fear. How do I get rid of fear? My word, he gave me a verse, 2 Timothy 1.7. And every time the fear would come up, I would quote that verse. And it says, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. And you know what, folks? I got rid of the fear. Anytime that fear comes up, that verse goes right out of my mouth, just like Jesus did. So. Wow. We have to know Satan. It says know, know his devices, know his plans, right? Yep. If you're attacking, if a military group's attacking another group, they got to know the strengths and the weaknesses of who they're attacking. And we have to know that too. So we got to know Satan, but we also, even better, know the Lion of Judah. And what he can do. Because God says our weapons are more excellent and more stronger than Satan's. And the angels are more stronger than the demons. So we are on the winning side. And I noticed it in the Bible that sometimes after people's greatest victories, like Elijah and the prophets with prophets of Baal, when he got to Jezreel, look what happened. I'm going to take your life. Eliza took off. Probably one of his greatest defeats. And God said, Elijah, what are you doing here at Horeb? You know, go back and do what I told you to do. So we have to be watchful. After our victories, we need to cover ourselves in prayers. Like after this conference, God is blessing this conference. We need to cover ourselves in prayers. Because I'm telling you, there's probably going to be some attacks. But we don't have to be fearful. We just have to be watchful. Amen. So, Lord, we just want to thank you for the message about Satan and all his devices and ways. 
And Lord, yes, we cannot beat Satan on our own. It takes the, the Lion of Judah, the Holy Spirit, in your word. Lord, but with those, we can defeat Satan. So Lord, teach us how to do that. Body, soul, and spirit, and mind. Teach us how to use all the weapons you have given us as we encounter Satan. And let us not run away from Satan. Let us run towards Satan, Lord. And take down the strongholds that we see in people's lives, Lord. Teach us how to do spiritual warfare and how to be victorious. And we will give you the praise and the glory and the honor. In your name, Jesus. Amen.
Ah, praise the Lord. Wow. Thank you, Brother Brent. Uh, hallelujah. And uh, let us pray. Yeah, let us pray. Oh, Lion of Judah. Hallelujah. Wow. Thank you, Lord. You live within us. And that's why Brother Mitch yesterday said, He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Yes. Not ten times greater. Not ten thousand times greater. Not even ten billion times greater. Infinitely greater. Yes. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, when you said... Uh, Everything, yes, you are the word. You didn't say it, but John said it. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And everything was created through him, and without him, nothing that was created would have been created. And the word had become flesh and dwelt amongst us. You are the God of Genesis 1.1. No lion from hell can match even the tip of your pinky. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for all this uh, two days, the three speakers uh, correctly said, yes, we need to put on the armor because in every single of this armor, you will put your power in it. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Please, Lord, help us. Please, Lord, help us. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Ah, thank you so much for everybody here that comes. There's sacrifice behind it, right? Yes. And uh, we're happy that the enemy is unhappy, right? Yes. <laughs> Uh, I saw all the trees that are falling in uh, Lexington being uh, kind of attacked, yeah, by uh, this tornado. Maybe not coincidence, right? <laughs> and uh, it happened all the times um, to any of us. Like like Brent said, you know, you you got the you got the ball, you became the target, and uh, we receive salvation. Yes, uh, and then if you want to save others. Wow. And you became the target. I like to uh, uh, use a couple of examples. Supreme, beautiful, powerful. And the truth, many truths, like Brent so powerfully and correctly said so many different truths. And uh, tactics and everything. But uh, they're just uh, examples. And the truth will be embodied in this... uh, uh, persons or, or, or story. Uh, one time I met a, a skinny man, a very skinny. Uh, this is in Asia. And uh, working in a very hostile area, anti-Jesus area. And uh, he was relentless. The enemy trying to work, but he was relentless. Uh, it's a different language, a different ethnic group. And, but the same color of skin. And uh, he used his training as a teacher. We like Dan and 
and helping using that skill, trying to connect with the people and trying to share the gospel. Nobody would, would take it. And then use his farming skill, helping the farming, connecting with the people, visiting people outside the farming time. Nobody would receive Jesus. He worked and he worked for seven years. Nobody. And uh, finally, he just at his return. And uh, he started to pray and fast. He started so, so much praying and yes, so much fasting. And when I met him, he was still very skinny. <laughs> That's after his severe fasting gone, you know. But uh, he said sometime he would go until 3 o'clock in the morning praying. And his heart was so broken by God. And he didn't quit because broken for these people. The desire to quit was there. But God gave him broken hearted love in such a way. And after he wept, he fasted. And uh, the spiritual demonic walls were so strong. He could not get through. And then after, we don't know how long he fasted and he prayed. And, and finally the, the strong man in that region, the whole region, very powerful man, a man with so many demons, everybody was afraid of him, he came I know why you come here you came here to share your religion you cannot fool us there are many villagers afraid of him all of them maybe, and then but I give you a deal said. and he took from, from his side a bamboo Yellow bamboo, maybe this lamb. Very strong bamboo. But he, everybody knew it was dedicated to the demons. Mm. At one time we got that kind of bamboo in our house. And the demons came to us too. <laughs> Somebody gave it to us uh, to be destroyed uh, because he was willing to it. So I took him home and demons came. But anyway, if you can break this with your bare hand, you were free. To share wherever you want, whatever you want, and I will, I will protect you. <laughs> if not, you have to go or you die. And this uh, man, he was so prayed up, but he was so skinny. <laughs> and he said, "Well, had to take the deal. <laughs> Otherwise, he would not have any chance, right?" So he took that bamboo. Put down on a board there all the villagers was there all watching every eyes were on them and he said in his skinny hand he touched that bamboo it's like explosion like a firecracker wow. boom gone everybody was stunned that strong man shook his head okay now you're free Wherever you go, I will be with you. If not, also, I'll tell them to listen to you. When I met him, he already planted and established 15 churches. Wow. Yeah. Praise the, Lord. the demons were broken. <laughs> he just came and came to the Lion of Judah. <laughs> and uh, praise the Lord. Sometimes uh, 
yes god give us the word for jesus also said according to your faith be it unto you right yeah. the word of god also said that, that we need to receive the grace from the lion And then when he said, I am with you always, we need to receive it, embrace it with faith. Yes. And then when Jesus said, this kind doesn't go except with fasting and praying. And we took that word too. And he did it. Yeah. I know that everybody that I've shared, they studied and prayed. And behind that, doing their part so that we can hold you know we we hold the shield of faith but we need the power of faith to hold it Amen. otherwise you got the word of god a sword but if you don't believe it it go in the name of jesus go in the name of jesus while well, we are scared i don't think it will go <laughs> because it's that according to your faith be done to you Amen. and then yes And faith, I believe that, that God wants us to cling to him through obedience. Yes. The more we love him, the more we obey him, the more we are given intimacy with God. And intimacy brings belief, yes. brings faith. And I believe, yes, the greatest weapon for victory against satan is the strong presence of god amen yeah the presence of god he said i am with you always i mean a presence but yes is present but sometimes because we don't believe it according to your faith be done to you that's why i remember i tried to cast the demons cast the demons cast the demons do not go because i don't have enough faith at times when i remember uh, somebody was demonized morning until evening sit in one corner and then after work after teaching in school coming and we as a team came said in the name of jesus and then uh, my friend said oh the demons It was in his head gone but the one behind him not gone yet and still he could not she could not walk and again in the name of jesus oh some of them around him gone demon behind him not gone and i didn't go didn't want to go and then the lord said you're not glorifying me enough oh my pride so i didn't i started to just prayed and prayed god god please give me faith humble me and a friend of mine the one that i baptized his arm moved he wanted to rebuke but he looked at me i was his pastor the pastor should do it so he didn't do it he, he tried again his hands were moved by god he pulled it again He waited for me. Finally, he could not take it anymore. In the name of Jesus! And the big demon left, and the lady right away could stand up. Amen. We have 
I have that pride. I have that sin. Couldn't do it. And then God gave me a chance. Another time he could not do it, and then the Lord used me. But anyway, God need to be believed. And believing need to have good relationship Amen. with him. Well, it's another wonderful, powerful example. A California girl named Jennifer Miller. At seven, her parents divorced. And she was shocked and devastated. She remembered when the daddy left. She cried, she wept, she sobbed. Oh, how good we live. We will not have enough money. At two, she saw Jesus coming to her room. And then at seven, when she was weeping, weeping, weeping again, Jesus came again. This time, she couldn't see. But Jesus said, I will be your daddy. And that's how I thought it. And then God gave her mom such supernatural faith. Her mom said, don't tell anybody, even if we lack anything. God is our father. So there are times when there's no food in the refrigerator. Mom said, no, we are rich in the kingdom. We pray. Daddy will give us. Now go to school. It's amazing. Countless time. Coming home, there are bags of food. Mom still may be at work. Bags of food there. Serious, good food. All the time. No letter. No message. Just food. She was from seven until whatever age she was. She said, he said, my God is really our daddy. One time, he said that his little brother, her shoes, his shoes got all holes and just really needed a new pair of shoes. So, mama and her and the boy said, they all prayed. He said, daddy, Johnny needs shoes. Good daddy will give shoes to his child. Okay, and then they went to the local shoe store. <laughs> the local shoe store said, uh, Don, would you, you know, Johnny, look, what shoes you like? And they found shoes. And then what brought it to the owner. Don, would you ring it, see how much it is? And she made it up. She forgot the price, but she like, $38.19. Okay, we'll come back. And the two kids didn't believe, looking at the mom. Mom, you don't have any money. <laughs> anyway, they went home. It was Saturday. The next day, Sunday, somebody, a lady came. Oh, please, please, please. Yeah, I, Would you please accept this? I know it is funny. The number is funny. Please don't take it the wrong way. It just... Somehow the numbers just pushed by God into my brain. It rolled up up before me all the time. I just cannot avoid it. Sorry, I write you a check, $38.19. Yeah. And the the family, just really praising God. God knows us, God knows us, God knows us. She grew up like that. (laughs) And... So many times the Lord spoke to her. Then, still after that, she said, 
There were dark years in her teens. Until she was 16, she made some wrong choices. And then at 16, God told her, now my decision. Are you going to serve me or to serve yourself? And with hard heart, she said, yes, I'll serve you. Lay down your friends, bad influence. And, oh, and then she laid down her friends. So she went back, no friends. It was, it was hard. Every time she was asked to empty herself of her own will, to deny herself, and to accept God. And later on, she worked so hard to go to the dream school, UCLA. She worked so hard, said, I worked my back off working, trying to get scholarship. She got full scholarship, said, okay, praise the Lord, I now get full scholarship, go to my dream school. The day she, was into, she, want to, she wanted to reply, God said, if you go there, I'll bless you. But that's not my first choice. She was, oh my. <sighs> and then, okay. And she had to go to another college, not full scholarship. She had to work two jobs and work so hard. And she said, my, this is just so hard, slugging it up, prayed so hard. And yet, she chose number one. And then she fell in love. At 19, wanted to get married. And then God said, if you marry him, I'll bless you. But he's not my first choice. She, she kept wept and she wept and she wept. And she, she promised God at 16, I will never say no to God. So she said yes. Then, Wow. Graduated at 21, and uh, she was praying. I wanted to move to Canada to join this little mission. From sunny California to freezing Canada. But he said, yes. She went there. She went there, met this guy. His name is uh, Ralph Brumfield. He's a good mentor spiritually. And then after that. I think you should go to Africa. So, wow, from sunny California to freezing Canada to the desert of Turkana, burning desert of Africa. And said, okay, she, she went. And this when amazing thing got happened. God said, this is for your spiritual promotion. This is for the increasing of your authority, he said. So he, he, he didn't know what to do. Went to Africa. She obeyed. It was the desert of Turkana, northern of Kenya. So hot, so barren, 130 degrees plus each day. So poor, out of control, so dry, never rained. Everything was brown, grass was brown, tree was scant, skinny, small brown, sand and hot sand. Few animals, skinny goats, people starving, so violent. Murders every day. When she went in, she had to go with four AK-47 armed guards. Otherwise, it would be robbed, raped or whatever. 
people survive there because World Vision International gives them food. That people sometimes got bloody trying to dig ground for water. And Jennifer Miller saw even children throwing themselves in front of the vehicle that they, do, that they drove. So that vehicle would stop and they wanted some drop of water. They asked for food or water. It was dire. Her assignment is to work with children and women. But soon the, the news came that project was canceled. No money. So here, there, she was in the middle of Africa, supposed to work with children and, and, mother, and, and ladies, but no money, project canceled. And she also learned that the land was dedicated in blood covenant to Satan. And every year they renewed it. So the perpetual drought, the abject poverty, the barrenness, starvation, violence, daily murders and deaths is part of the curse. The people are so afraid of the demons and witch doctors. <laughs> if people did not pay homage, homage to the spirits or comply with the demons, as the witch doctor said it, they would be cursed. And then houses suddenly would go burn. <clears throat> animals started to bleed. They them, started to bleed from their mouths and their noses until they died. Babies would die soon after birth. And there Jennifer knew and met two Christian friends, a pastor James and his wife. He said, they're Christian, they're pastor. But three times they got babies, died not much after birth. He said, we are Christians. How did it happen to us? Jennifer Miller, 21, and here, no experience. They know. But of course, you know, we know. Yes, we might be Christian, but according to your faith be it unto you, right? Yeah, I remember when Connie was conceiving Johan, and uh, we caught rat. We were in Asia. <laughs> we got rat coming, got trapped. And uh, so I was going to kill it. So they're thinking, okay, let's borrow. The, the guy next, the first people next door has a gun, you know, like a, a bigger than BB gun. Anyway, it would kill birds and things like that. And oh, don't do that. Don't, don't kill it. Don't kill it. Your, your wife is pregnant. I, I heard them stories, you know, what happened when even the husband slaughtered a chicken or goat, you know, for eating, but the husband and the wife was pregnant, and then deformity came to the child. And uh, so I thought, well, because the devil told me not to, I have to do it, right? <laughs> so I, I, sh I borrowed it, okay. I shot it, and then I returned, I didn't say anything. I told, I told another neighbor, you know, the devil trying to intimidate. <laughs> and they were, oh, Mr. Herman, don't do that. Don't do that. I said, well, let's see how the child like, how he looked like later. Uh, how he looks like after he was born. Well, he's better looking than I am. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Yeah, he's, uh, he's six feet tall and 
and uh, better looking. And uh, the devil tried to intimidate you. Yeah. Yes. But yes, hey, I was praying. I was praying hard. Lord, don't let this child get deformed. <laughs> because the enemy will get confirmation. Let this child be healthy and strong so that the Lion of Judah confirmed himself. Yeah. Anyway, uh, at that time, back to Jennifer Miller. He, she was so overwhelmed. You know, the land was dedicated to the demons, violence, so poor, so barren, starvation. What could one person, inexperienced like her, do? She said, wow, the murders, the, so many, the bleeding, the dying, the burning, the drought. She wept, she wept. Lord, I, I'm totally disqualified. I'm totally unqualified. You sent the wrong person. I know nothing about this. I can do nothing about this. I'm totally helpless. I'm totally unqualified. And God answered, Yes, you are totally helpless. You're totally unqualified. Never forget that. That is your strength. Trust me. I can... Use David to kill Goliath. Say, wow, I can use you. Amen. Something started to rise in her. Yes, we are all unqualified, right? Yes. He just said it. Brent just said it. Yeah. But he was within us as qualified, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, praise the Lord. I remember not a while ago, a brand new that person who were in Scottsburg, demons disturbing them, making noises and moving and everything. And, and we visited there, even with a guy that was here last night, JD. He invited me to go. And I was witnessing, and suddenly he was standing there. It's in the evening in front of his uh, bedroom. And suddenly the demons poked him. Physically, boom, he jumped. <laughs> so, but people were praying for me. The Lion of Judah was here too. So I jumped into that room and I told the demons, Demons, you are baloney! In the name of Jesus! Never came again. No movement of shed, no noises. Yeah. I think the enemy needs to know who is in charge, right? Yes. Yeah. God is in charge. Amen. We are nothing. But nothing plus God equals God, right? Amen. Yeah. Stanley Tam kept saying it. Zero plus God equals God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You and God. <laughs> God is there. Praise the Lord. So Jennifer Middlestone, trust me. So, God reminded her of a guy named Arthur Burke who was doing a lot in the deliverance and cleansing areas and asking God to cleanse her area from demons. So, he asked him to come, even though he didn't have money. He said, could you come here? Yes, it was December, Christmas time. We could not pay you away, just, you know, but if you could come. We could not even give you <laughs> honorarium. But anyway, he came. He canceled many things, and he came. And then 
They both invited leaders. There were kind of people about 500,000. 500,000. And there are Christians among them. So they invited the Christians, especially the leaders, to form a remnant, a group, that would represent the people and the land. And they would, together, would make another covenant with God. So they sent runners. And people came. 1,500 came. So I guess they spent all their money to buy you know, skinny goats or whatever to feed them. And then this, as Arthur Burke started to lead the service, everything, and they prayed and said, the way to break you know, a blood covenant with the devil is to use another stronger blood covenant. The blood covenant of Jesus. Amen. You and I are given blood covenant, right? Yes. He said, this is my blood. The blood of new covenant. Yes. The blood that was given to us, not even just human blood. It is the blood of God, Genesis 1-1, as a man. You are purchased. We are purchased with the blood that was so powerful. <laughs> anyway, they did it. And they prayed. That four days they were praying. And then at the peak of it, they got Holy Communion. And then they poured the Jews on the land. Lord, this is the blood covenant. This land was dedicated to the demons. We claim it back with the blood of Jesus. Amen. It happened that day also was the day where the occults, the witch doctors, the Satanists, having also a renewal of covenant every year. So to kind of people that are maybe going to other places and making money in other places, they should come back and sacrifice, bringing goats, bringing sacrifice, oxen or whatever, to, re to renew their dedication to the demons. If not, they will be cursed. That day, as they were pouring, they were praying, they were asking, God, please, show us that you are really happy with us. You are really in this. And give us a sign that you broke the power of the demons. Well, God did. In the land that never rained, that day, it rained. Amen. It rained. People were dancing, dancing. They were so happy. And then, and they were sacrificing at the goat mountain. A huge, huge, huge lightning came. Bang like a bomb. Everybody scattered. They are afraid. They ran for their life. They could see from far all these witches, all these people running down. So some of the Christians ran down to meet them and witnessed to them and winning quite a few from the, to the Lord. Amen. Even some powerful witches came. Amen. They, they knew their power was broken. And, uh, and the people, wow, they were just worshiping God. Many Christians just keep praising God and dancing. And one of the witches got so many demons. Jennifer said it took three months, continuous deliverance. Every day, demons would come out. You know, the longest I had was seven weeks. But uh, it 
it was just all the time demons come up and he was soundly converted and now he is an intercessor this former witch and he gave, he gave them insights of what's going on in the demonic world and how to pray yes Jesus, Jesus broke the curse on the people and upon the land and then after that after the victory as Dan said you need to watch out Jesus came to her do you want to go on if you go on for the salvation of these people devil will try to kill you that's it she heard that and then she said yes I want to see the people safe if I die I die immediately she got sick Immediately she was very, very, very sick. Passing out, vomiting, couldn't eat. I, she was at the point she could not even walk. She had to be carried to the bathroom. Dying. Just so far away from doctors. So far away. No doctors. No hospital. But the Lord, I know, sent a missionary. He was looking for a place of ministry. Just exploring place with God and met them and she took her 14 hours to Nairobi to a hospital put them in a best hospital best doctors and the doctor said you're two hours late you die you're totally dehydrated your inner organs for some reason so infected so poisoned they stop functioning That's why she could not eat for 10 days. She was so sick and she was dying. Then, she was sick, she was dying. The doctor said, well, maybe what we could do to open up, try to explore last ditch. And that night, that night, she was there and she was so sick. She was so far away, even from her African friends. God said, you will feel alone. The only person you would recognize was me. And there he is. She was so alone. She was so alone. And oh my, she was so sick. She was so alone. And it was December. She was missing home, missing Christmas with the family. And then she said, oh God, I'm so alone. I'm so alone. I'm so alone. And then the Christmas, Christian Christmas carols, carols coming, singing to the hospital, and she broke down. She, she just made them so much. She wept. She covered her, herself with a blanket and wept, and she cried herself to sleep. And God spoke during that sleep. God gave her a mighty vision, a real vision. God said, go to the window and look. There, in the spirit, I think in the room, she went out and looked out. And what she saw stunned her. She saw, as far as the eyes could see, mighty, mighty warriors, mighty soldiers, all in perfect formation, in full attention. And then the voice came, you think you are alone. I've made available one million angels ready at your bidding. 
sees it. You know, you, you, maybe some of you have gone to one million march in Washington. You cannot see the end. One million mighty angels. Wow. The next day she woke up. Later on, this is fast forward. Later we come back to the hospital. But first of all, when she went to California, to her home church, a couple, a little girl came. Jennifer, tell us what happened to you in December this day. And why is it? Our little girl here, five-year-old Tabitha, at four o'clock in the morning, running out from her room, Mommy, 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 we need to pray for Jennifer Miller. We need to pray. Jesus just came to me and told me to pray for one million angels. So they knelt down and prayed for one million angels. And it was exactly what she saw. We are not alone, are we? We got the Lion of Judah, <laughs> but sometimes the Lion of Judah will tell his soldiers, now you go, have fun. I remember after listening to the testimony, I went to Asia, and uh, I preached, and uh, my two of my prayer team members asked, this guy here, the demons, should we pray for him? Said, we had gone two times, and yeah, he... He's not delivered yet or whatever. Well, okay. So we prayed. We prayed and the whole body stiff as a board. He was stiffened like that. And then God reminded me, Lord, uh, you send Jennifer Miller one million angels. Just send me a thousand. Just send me a thousand. That would be enough, I think. Prayed. Boom. He was delivered. Relax, demons gone. It's hard for demons to deal with 1,000 warrior angels, isn't it? Amen. Yeah. At that time, I, yeah, we prayed in Jesus' name, but I just said, God, send us 1,000 angels. Yeah. Because the presence of God, of course, is much more precious than 1,000 angels. Yeah. And, you know, went back to Jennifer. And, uh, God himself came to her later on. Maybe for the sake of time, didn't tell the details. But Jesus himself came and cleansed her inner organ. She said she saw it. Just amazing. Jesus said, oh, Jesus cleansed, cleansed, cleansed everything. The next day, she told the doctor uh, to wait for the operation. Wait, 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 wait. I'm healed. The doctor said, ah, she is crazy. She snapped. And then she said, and God, she said, Lord, uh, you touched me last night. I didn't feel any difference, but I believe you. I believe you. So she said, I'm healed. I'm healed. Every time she said, I'm healed, she felt better. Every time she said, I'm healed, she felt better. And then she told the doctors, give me something to eat. And the doctor said, okay, we'll try. Because for 10 days, you know, because it's so sick, anything come in would go out. And so, give them food. And she devoured the food. The doctor said, whoa, what happened? So she was given to eight hours of test, brutal test. Doctor came back. We don't know what happened. (laughs) You're being healed. Everything now, your organs functioning again. It's a miracle. And then... 
she was attacked again. She was there, out of hospital, the missionary home. In the black backyard, there's a room, like a school room, small room. She was still weak. She was still weak. And when she was there, that night, she heard voices of men outside. It was dark. There's a wall, 10 feet wall. Said, ha, ah, how could men get there in, in front of my door, in front of my window? Said, ha, ah, this is not good. And then the devil whispered to her, you think you're free. I'm sending five men to rape and to kill you. She was overcome with fright. She was so afraid. She went, oh, this is horrible. And she went, oh, I better die of that sickness rather than being killed by these guys. And, uh, and then the Lord spoke. Demon spoke. The Lord spoke. Jennifer, choose faith or choose fear. Choose to believe me or remain in your fear. And she said, I don't know how you can get me out of this. These five people. One just inches away because he was next to the window. In the bed. But he said, I choose faith. Amen. And suddenly, he said, the Lord touched her. She was not consumed again by fright. She was consumed by supernatural faith. She knew, she knew that she is the child of God. These people did not know who they messed around with. They, I am a child of God. And so God will strike them. So she started to have pity on these five rap- would-be rapists. I need to warn them because they're going to be shed by the power of God. So she was started to walk and she fell down on the floor. Ah, boom. And then, oh, wow. Boom. And the, the people outside was, oh, what's that? And then they moved their fingers, their hands, and uh, motion light got uh, started, and oh, and the dogs barking. They, said, they were talking. They were talking in Swahili. They were talking. Oh, is there people? Is there people coming? Is there people coming? Is there people? Is there sound of gun, gun, and then they all took off. But uh, she said, at that time, the knowledge of God no longer in her brain; it was in her heart. It was an assurance in such a way. She had, the fear was gone and she knew those people would die if they continued. I am a child of the mighty king and he is here. And, uh, well, when it happened, after that, she was healed. She went back to America, to North America, maybe Canada and, and California. After eight months, she came back. She came back. There was no desert. In the previous eight months, that Turkana received more rain than any part of Kenya. Wow. The desert became lush green. Goats were fat. World vision packed up and left because people could thrive on their own. The climate changed. Demons left. 
in eight months before their everyday murders. Maybe like Louisville. In eight months, no single murder. Everything was transformed. The curse was broken. The spirit of death was cast out. God used humans, used angels. Yes, God used Jennifer, that 21-year-old girl, not experienced at all, used her mentor to help directing her, used Arthur Burke leading the spiritual warfare, used many, said many was interceding when she was sick. They were praying, they were praying. Yes, God also sent one million angels. The demons got, uh, the, the, the Satan got their demons, but we also have the lions and also his angels. Amen. Yes, the whole demons and principalities in Turkana was crushed by God. The walls that were so powerful crumbled down. They, the experience of that transformed her. Just transformed her. Said the word of God with so much power, the covenant of blood is so real, so solemn. All his promises guaranteed with his blood, right? All the promises guaranteed by the blood that he shed on the cross. The power of the word of God was so strong and it comes, yes, through simple obedience. Every time we obey God, it means that we love God more than we love ourselves. We like to do this to disobey, but we obey. So the principle of loving is really self-emptying. Emptying ourselves of our selfish desire. And that obedience, loving God, it brought God ability to come closer. She said every time she denied herself, a massive amount of grace he added to her. Every time he, he denied herself, a massive, another massive amount of grace. So the intimacy with God through their obedience brought grace and the grace of faith. And faith brought power and authority. Because he said, according to your faith, be it unto you. The devil and the demons are relentless. But the Lion of Judah is more relentless, isn't it? Yeah. They would try to ambush and sneak. But he said that our Lord never sleeps, right? Who, Who has stronger stamina? The one who guards us? Or the one who tried to sneak in us. Yeah. 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 The, uh, the demons try. But praise the Lord. I remember one day, as a lady, it was possessed. Prayed, prayed, prayed. The demons kept coming back. Prayed. I got my friends, my students to come pray. Then just taking turn. 
after maybe 18 hours, I, I went back, coming back. I thought, wait, somebody else now, here. I'm going to the mountain to pray, fast and pray, so that God give me more faith. I'm lacking faith. And uh, ah, before that, I went to my team. My team member said, oh, Mr. Herman, she has unforgiveness in her heart. You cast demons, demons left, but God doesn't like to dwell with sin. So he allows the demons to come back. Oh, that's a problem, huh? Yeah, okay. So went back. So I told her, Tina, you're, uh, you get this unforgiveness. If you cannot forgive, that's okay. Just tell God, I'm willing to forgive. If you cannot forgive, that's okay. Your power may not be there. But tell God, I'm willing to forgive. You cannot get rid of some sin, just tell God, I'm willing to do it. And he will give you the power. I said that maybe 30 times. And suddenly she said, I hate my father. I hate my brother. Her mother died when she was nine. And she was mistreated by stepmother and she was so disappointed at the father disappointed taken sent to the brother sister-in-law also didn't treat her well she was angry she was angry so from family to family she got a lot of wounds <laughs> just like what friend said and then i that's okay that's okay just tell god i'm willing i'm willing to forgive and suddenly boom she was healed didn't have to cast demons anymore. <laughs> Jesus did. Jesus did it. Yeah. Any unforgiveness, any sin would hinder the power of God to work. And uh, then interesting that she started to, to be able to see in the spirit world. And uh, the times when angel was singing, she could hear demons threatening. She was still afraid for, I don't know how many, few, few weeks. So sometimes I was there and said, oh, demons, demons, demons. I didn't see any demons, but I believe her. So I said, in the name of Jesus. Gone. Okay, praise the Lord. I remember when the, she said, whoa, yesterday demons were put in, a, in an iron cage and burn. And I was so angry. We were praying, God, bind the demons, burn them. Apparently he did. Burn them. And then the e demon was so angry. He said, open, open the cage. And she said, I don't have the key. And he said, Mr. Herman has the key. I said, I don't have the key. <laughs> Jesus has the key. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, uh, but demons are burned. And then one day he said, Mr. Herman, at one or two o'clock, you weren't home, weren't you? Yeah, how did you know? The demons went to your place and then came back. Lucky Herman was not home. I thought, ha, the truth and lies together, you know. It's true, I wasn't home. The lie is that. If I was home, demons would be able to destroy me. So I told her, this is a lie. 
He was trying to deceive you as if he was stronger than Jesus. You protect me. Then one day she said, Mr. Herman, your house has so many demons. Many demons. He said, hmm. I don't know that. But, he said, but also he said, she said, but there are walls of fire around your house. Yeah, last night too we pray here, Zechariah 2.5, when God said, I myself will be walls of fire around you. Apparently, yeah, Connie was there too, the uh, walls of fire around. Hey, uh, I'd like to see Mark to show some scriptures uh, that we can look at the screen. Truly, truly, I say unto you, whoever believes in me, he will also do the works that I do. Greater works than this he will do, because I'm going to the Father. He, he doesn't lie. That 21-year-old, 21-year-old, led the charge to that 500,000 people that worship the demons. God, allow us to do his work. Yeah, next one, Brother Mark. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do. And the Father may be glorified in the Son. Yeah, whatever we ask for the glory of the Father. Yes, praise the Lord. So God is training her, was training her and is training us. So that we will keep saying yes to God. Yes to God. Especially when it's hard. As Jesus Christ. As anyone would follow me. He said. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. The shield of faith. Will become stronger. With the arm of faith. Holding it. The sword of the spirit can be used so strongly with the arm of faith. The breastplate will be so firm because of faith. The shoes to, to win the gospel, to share the gospel will strong and tight, will not lose. The helmet of salvation will be so strong and strapped well. Just like Paul said, even when he said, ah, the threat of death, he said, yes, to live is Christ and to die is gain. It didn't disturb him. The helmet of salvation in him. Jennifer Miller said, if I die, I die. The helmet of salvation. I think also God said, when two or three get together in my name, I will be there in, the, in, the, in your midst. Yes. We join our faith. The mouth that spoke the whole universe unto existence said that. Prayer is to depend upon God. Prayer is to spend time with God. Sometimes we don't want to spend time with the one who gives us all our time, right? Prayer is to seek God's favor in God's presence. And we grow most, we grow most in his presence, right? The best of the best of the best of the best is God, right? Yes. 
the greatest of the greatest of the greatest is God. So the best and the greatest answer to prayer is the answerer, right? God himself. The greatest of the gifts is the giver. So God wants us to spend time. Because when we come, the nearness to the greatest of the greatest, the nearest to the best of the best, it is our defensive weapon. And it is also our offensive weapon. Yeah, Close to God. Our defensive and our offensive weapon. When the faith is strengthened, yeah. yes. Yeah, many times. Uh, I don't know. Just by the grace of God. You know, when I remember somebody had demons. And he was so demonized. And at that time, some friends helped, helped to tackle because he was put by the demons. The raft, what do you call it? Just the bar, the you know, trusses there. He, somebody stole a car bumper and he was put there. The demons put them there. And he was just laughing and laughing at us. And we tried to, finally, we tried to help him down. But my, my if he... If he started to rebel, he would fall to the concrete and he would die. Ah, oh, he said, uh, rebuke. He was just, le- just laughing, just laughing. Finally. Okay, let's try to bring him down. We stack up tables and finally we try to hunt. So I said, Lord, please, in the name of Jesus, be paralyzed. And boom, he was paralyzed. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So we could take him down. <laughs> While he was paralyzed, he was so mad. The demon's mad. And one of my friends was, he was not a Christian. He looked at him, I will kill you. Oh, the guy was so afraid. Wow, he took off. And then I turned the guy with the demons face to face, eyeballs to eyeballs. That kill me. I told him, baloney. And then uh, so I told him, if you're not happy, find me. My house is there. My name is Herman. I'm nothing. My God is waiting for you there. Yeah. Many times they came. <laughs> you can ask Connie. <laughs> Many times demons came, but the Lion of Judah was there. <laughs> his rod and his staff was there. So every time, what happens, both to the skinny evangelists, they had to pray to fast and pray and fast. You know what happened? Their faith is strong, strengthened. His faith is so strengthened. The intimacy with God increasing. So after all this and seeing the miracle, they will become mightier. So God used the demons and the attacks as a stepping stone for our growth. Amen. The same with Jennifer Miller. So when you were attacked, not really bad. God will... Help us to grow. And, and yes, we will see the victory. We cling to God. And uh, praying also is bringing our presence to God's presence, right? Yes. We delight in his presence. God delight in our presence. Oh, we pray that it will, it will make us so happy to know that he delights in us. When we live 
knowing that he delights in us, it brings intimacy. He delights in us and we delight in him. And that's the way, I think, to stay in victory. God used everything, including demons, principalities, to make us humble. We, we, we don't have anything. We cannot do anything. Seven years he tried, not a single convert. But finally, when he could not do anything, Jennifer Miller said, I'm totally disqualified. Jesus said, never forget that. That's your greatest asset. You and I were created, right? Even the world and angels are created, right? If they are created, it means they started from zero, right? Start from nothing. We are zeros at the beginning. To these zeros, the one that spoke the universe unto existence died on the cross. Mark, can you show you the other verse? And then... ah, this is what God said in Jeremiah. Should you not fear me, declares the Lord. Should not you tremble in my presence. I made the sand a boundary of the sea, everlasting barrier it cannot cross. The waves may roll, but they cannot prevail. They may roar, they cannot cross it. Here, God was trying to give us what we call, not revelation, biblical theology, but natural theology, right? Then, look at the creation. Yeah, He invited us. Look at what I did. Look at the sea. Will you not tremble at me? Now, we got Hubble orbiting telescope, right? Now, we have skylight. Now, we know that our sun shining upon us just by the virtue of its eruption. It has eruption every day. By the virtue of the eruptions, every single day, the sun could wipe out the population of the earth at least 3,000 times. That makes us not too big, right? Including the United States. That's the sun, only one million times the size of the earth. How about Canis Majoris? 7,000 trillion times the size of the earth. Here, people didn't have telescopes, so God just used the sand and the sea. But he also saw, you know, the heavens declare the glory of God. And he, he created not just this, you know, he said that uh, Canis Majoris 7,000 trillion times. So, in one day, maybe it could wipe us, you know, 3,000 times 7 if it's 7,000 trillion times the size of the earth, it means 7 billion times the size of the sun. So maybe it could wipe us out 21 trillion times in one day. We are not that big, aren't we? God convicted me. I thought, you know, this America is so precious, but God is more precious. And in our single galaxy alone, 100 to 200 billion stars, right? One single galaxy. Quasar, 100 to 200 trillion stars. And they are galaxies of the galaxies that no one can number. So Sir James Jean said, the number of the suns either equals or exceeds all the number of the grains of sand on all the seashores of all the world. 
And he said, let there be light. And all sprung into being out of nothing. That is our Lion of Judah. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Our brother said, don't be intimidated, right? <laughs> our Lion of Judah. He is very, very powerful. And, uh, and then this is the cat. Really something that hurt, not, not hurt, but really that touched you. This one that spoke everything unto existence considered you and me worth, your blood, worth his blood. We are worth his blood to him. In ourselves, we dare not to say. <laughs> Even angels dare not to say that, right? But Jesus died on the cross to let us know that we are worth his blood. Victory is ours. He is greater than the world. He is greater than our sinful nature. He is greater than the devil. Amen. Yes. His presence, yes, is the f- powerful, most powerful weapon, but also the greatest joy. Yes, God Himself wants to participate. In this fight. Hallelujah. Yes. Victory is guaranteed. Because. said I am. With you always. We do our part. And we will win. Let us pray. Lord Jesus. We thank you. That the mouth. That spoke the whole universe. Into existence. Promised. These verses that we saw on the screen. Yes, including what you said, I am with you always. And that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Lord, thank you for using that 21-year-old Jennifer Miller leading the charge against the demonic forces that have been there for thousands of years. It doesn't matter to you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. When Bill Weiss, after spending 23 minutes in hell, yes, you sent him to hell to see, to let him learn how terrible, terrible, terrible the destruction that the devil wants us to go to. But Lord Jesus, when you picked him up from hell after 23 minutes the whole hell was paralyzed and Bill Wies could not do anything but clasp nail down worship you and worship you and thanking you without end he was in hell but you delivered her, him from hell Lord Jesus it dawned on me that Bill Wies was worshipping you in hell. Wherever you are, the atmosphere of heaven will come. Jesus, help us to seek closeness to you, to give you enough time every single day. It delights you and it will bless us exceedingly. 
In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. song and then if anybody needs to go we understand we're we're trying to not go past the time but we're going to still offer for anybody who has questions uh we will stay here but uh, we're going to have one worship song and then we'll offer a short time of question and answer and uh, like i say though if if you need to leave we understand not a problem come directly from from the Lord and they are so true in what we are supposed to do. Sing ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you.
secret.